through no fault of their own. Um, and whenever I hear that song, all I can think of is uh, Chevy Chase, who's playing Clark Griswold, in the original vacation as they're driving from Chicago to Wally World, and as they cross over the Mississippi, that's what he sings. Um, we all have our things, right? And while I'm getting set up here, uh, my notes, I need to fix this. I just want to defend myself uh, against um, spoilers. <laughs> Do you realize how hard it is to bring cultural references in a sermon without ruining someone's uh, movie? Uh, I had this happen a few years ago. Uh, I used... I use the Chronicles of Narnia series, which is, I mean, this is, every pastor does this, right? And I, by the way, spoiler alert, Aslan doesn't stay dead, okay? <laughs> but I, 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 uh, I, used, I used the story as a sermon illustration. It was a good illustration, and someone came up and they gave me the what for. I mean, really gave me an earful. And I believe there should be a statute of limitations. I mean, the books were written in the early 50s. The movies are now nearly two decades old. Um, so, no, I will not say spoiler alert. <laughs> All right. Give me one second here, I'm sorry. All right, let's, uh, this morning we're going to look at Acts 6, 1 through 7. Okay, Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. If you uh, don't have a Bible handy, you can grab one from the pew rack and make your way to page 914. Acts 6, 1 through 7, it's on page 914. And before we read God's word, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word remains forever because your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Your word works. It, uh, it cuts right where you want it to. To help us see our sin and also run to our Savior. So we're thankful for this word that you've given us. Uh, it is living and may it live for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts 6, 1 through 7. This is God's holy word. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May God write his word upon our hearts. So a couple of years ago, uh, two years ago this summer, I got a text from my friend Jonathan Dorst uh, asking if I had heard about this, this thing called MoviePass. 
And, and at the time, uh, MoviePass was, was a new subscription uh, service that had just launched. And, and the business model was fairly simple. Uh, for $9.95 a month, you could go to any theater and watch one movie a day. 365 movies a year for the flat fee of $9.95 a month. And so we were, uh, we were one of the early adopters, and we, we bought a couple of movie passes. And for the first few months, Kimbo and I saw more movies in about three months than we've seen over the last several years. We were sitting in a theater one time, and I said, this is, this is too good to be true. And it was. Right? I mean, it couldn't last. It didn't last. Uh, the business grew faster than the company expected, and they went, and they, they knew they were going to lose a little money early on, but they went from losing a little money to losing millions of dollars per month until the whole thing just imploded. In fact, there was an article that came out this past week that said MoviePass has, has now lost over 90% of its subscribers. So every business, those of you that are in business, every business expects there to be growing pains. Um, if a business is unprepared for growth or doesn't know how to handle the growth or, or makes poor growth decisions, then that business doesn't stay in business very long. And, and sometimes a church can go through a similar thing. If a church grows and, and the leaders of the church, James mentioned the elders of the church, if a church grows and, and the leaders of the church, even though they've prayed for growth and expected growth and trusted God for growth, but if they don't know how to handle growth, then people suffer. And, and growing pains in a church are truly painful because we're not talking about movies and entertainment. We're talking about people's lives. And when a church stops trusting in God's wisdom and God's ways and instead turns to human wisdom and the world's ways, then those growing pains that are inevitable actually are exacerbated. And I, I'd remind you from a sermon a couple of weeks ago, God's way for the church is simple. It really is. We can, we can muck things up pretty fastly. We can complicate things. But God's way for the church is really simple. It's word and sacrament. It's service and sacrifice. It's worship, teaching, nurture, reaching. And it doesn't matter if you have 100 people or 1,000 people. And what we see here in uh, Acts chapter 6 is that the church was growing, and it was almost growing exponentially. It was growing so fast, they went from a, from a couple hundred to several thousand in just a short amount of time. And in the second chapter, if, if you were here with us, in the second chapter on the day of Pentecost, we find that about 3,000 people came to faith and were added to the church. In the fourth chapter, we find that just before Peter and John were arrested, another 2,000 believed and were added to the church. After Peter and John were released, they continued to minister and preach the gospel and were told that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. And so the church was growing and it was growing rapidly and the growing pains were inevitable. And that's the context for this uh, for this passage. The church is growing rapidly and they're experiencing growing pains and we get uh, the curtain pulled back for just a moment to see how, how they dealt with that and how the Lord prospered them. And so with that in mind, I've got four things I want to share with you, pretty straightforward things. The problem, the solution, the principles, and the result. First, let's give a, a moment's time to the problem. The church uh, had a number of widows 
we're told that some of the widows were Hellenist and some were Hebrews. Hellenist, we're going to come back to this in a week or two when we uh, spend some time discussing Stephen. But Hellenists were, they were Jewish, but they were Greek-speaking Jews who had been deeply influenced by Grecian culture. And the Hebrews, of course, were uh, deeply immersed in Hebrew culture. They spoke Aramaic. And so these, these two groups that are identified were ethnically similar, but culturally very different. Many of you know Raul Bermuda as a friend of ours, a co-laborer in ministry. He, he used to pastor a church over in northeast Tulsa called Pacto de Gracia. And uh, almost all of his church members were Hispanic. All except two, I believe. They were, they were Hispanic. But some, some were first-generation immigrants who only spoke Spanish. Some of the folks there were second- and third-generation um, who were bilingual, but they, they had come to adopt and prefer English. And so some members of his congregation would come to him and they, they would want the service conducted in Spanish. But others wanted the, the service conducted in English. They spoke English in the home. They wanted their kids to be immersed in English. And so when Raul did speak in English, the Spanish speakers felt marginalized. And that's similar to what we see here in Acts. Ethnically, ethnically, very similar, but culturally quite different. And as the apostles were distributing food and supplies to the widows of the church, the Hellenist, these are Jews who were Greek-speaking and influenced by Grecian culture, the Hellenists felt that their widows were being marginalized or neglected or passed over. And it's the pains of growth. Now, here are a couple of observations about this that I think are very important that we shouldn't pass up. First, serving widows was clearly a priority for the church. I mean, Luke doesn't give any explanation. He just states it as a matter of fact. He doesn't offer any commentary. He just simply writes that caring for widows was a practice and a priority for the church. Friends, this is so important for us. You see, the church whether as Israel in the Old Testament or the new covenant community that is growing here, has always prioritized widows, orphans, and those in need. It's a common thread that you see through the Old Testament carrying on into the new. That God's people have always prioritized widows, orphans, and those in need. And there are some Christians, though, I don't know if there were then, but there are at least some today, who believe that the church shouldn't really concern itself with anything other than preaching and teaching. That all we need to do to be faithful is to preach, teach, disciple, and evangelize. But clearly the church is called to do more than those things. I mean, for goodness sake, an entire ordained office of the church was established to care for widows and, and to oversee social needs. And so caring for one another, caring for those in need, caring for others' life needs and social concerns is most definitely in the scope of what the church is called to do and what we must make a priority as the church. Let's always be sure that we are no less biblical than the Bible. So the first observation is just that caring for widows was a priority. It always has been for God's people. That's why Luke doesn't really expand on it. He just takes it as a matter of fact that, his, that the readers, the hearers are going to understand this is a priority. This is what God's people do. Now here's a second observation. 
there's more going on here than a minor dispute over some widows getting less than their fair share. This is actually the beginning of a racial divide in the church. You see, all of the apostles were Jewish. All of the apostles were Jewish. And, and if, if you're listening, you can almost hear the undertone of bigotry in the complaint by the Hellenist. You apostles are favoring your widows. Can't you hear it that way? You're giving the Hebrew widows more, or you're prioritizing them, or you're serving them. Listen, we know that racial tension and division was a problem in the early church. Just a handful of years after this, Paul dealt with the Galatian heresy. He, he confronted and rebuked Peter for treating the Gentiles differently, for actually distorting the gospel because of folks' ethnicity. And so this is no minor issue. It may seem on the surface like a minor issue, but it's not. The apostles recognized that this issue posed a significant danger to unity. It had to be dealt with. You know, and I was at my, um, I was at my former church uh, in Texas. When I'd been there a couple of years, um, God was good to us, and we began to grow. We began to add many new people, and, and some of the new people um, challenged our homogenous status quo in a good way. Some of the folks who came were materially poor. Some were ethnic minorities, a few were in mixed-race marriages, and listen, those things, those should not be factors or considerations at all, but they were for some people. One occasion, uh, an elder's wife came up to me, and she said, Pastor, you know, it's good that we're adding those kind of people and all, but what about the rest of us? My mouth was probably as agape as some of yours are right now. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing when God crafts a mosaic of diversity in his church, but, but not everyone sees it as beautiful. And friends, that's wrong. That is sinful. If we're going to be a picture of heaven here on earth, then we must embrace, not accept, not tolerate, but embrace people who are unlike us. So what you have going on here are two groups of people, ethnically similar, culturally quite different, and the seeds of division are already being sown. And when God proves faithful to build his church, it will always challenge the status quo. When God builds his church, I would love to see growth like we see here, 3,000 on this day, 2,000 on that day. But any kind of growth challenges the status quo. And if we're going to continue to grow as a church, we, we have to learn from this negative example here in Acts. That growth will always bring growing pains. It will always bring growing pains. And unity must always supersede cultural preference. So that's the problem. Now second, let's consider the solution. The apostles understood that caring for widows and those in need was a priority, but it was not the only priority. They, they recognized that God had called them and equipped them for a specific kind of ministry, a specific task, what they call the ministry of the word. Now, I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand the apostles and their intention. I don't want you to look down upon them. Um, when they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
they didn't mean they were somehow superior or better. They didn't mean that serving widows was somehow beneath them. They meant the church needs two kinds of leaders. One kind of leader to, to feed the soul and one kind of leader to feed the body. And so their solution was to commission and empower a small group of men to be the literal hands and feet of the gospel message. As they were concerned with the gospel in word, it was these, these men concerned to, to, to put the gospel into deed. Maybe just put that a little bit differently. The solution was to commission and empower a group of men who would then lead the church to be the hands and feet of the gospel message. Preaching, teaching, prayer, equipping. Friends, those are vital things. But so are deeds of mercy. And we don't have to pit the ministry of the word over against ministries of deed. We don't have to do that. God's solution provides for both. You know, over the last hundred years, uh, spe specifically in our country, uh, many mainline churches took up social concerns. They began to care for those in need, but they neglected the gospel message. And as a result, those churches are dying and have died. But on the other hand, in reaction to that, nearly a, tw a hundred years ago, uh, in reaction to the mainline churches, many fundamentalist churches focus solely on proclaiming right doctrine, not being concerned with social concerns for fear of embracing a social gospel. And funny enough, the latest studies show that those churches are dying as well. James tells us, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, if you've got great words for them, Good message. Go in peace, brother. Be warm and be filled. Without giving them the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? And so he challenges us. He says, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. And so to, to concern ourselves with social needs is not the social gospel. It is the social implications of the glorious gospel. And this is a great time I would just uh, take to encourage, encourage you uh, as members to take seriously your job to nominate men to serve as elders and deacons. You know, elders are not apostles. There's not a one-to-one -one correlation here in Acts 6. But, but the job is very similar. Elders carry on the apostolic ministry to be servant leaders of the word. Deacons have the ministry to be servant leaders in deeds, and the church has to have both. That's the solution the Lord gives us. Now, here's a third thought. We've seen the solution. The church is growing, and the, the growing pains are inevitable. Seeds of discord are being sown. There's even the undertone of racial division and preference. God says, no, we're not just going to, we're gonna, we're not just gonna be concerned with the word. We're gonna be concerned with deeds so he provides for both. Now, here's a third thought. I want us to consider a few principles. I've got three specifically in mind. Here's the first principle. Every Christian is gifted, and every Christian is meant to use their gift to serve others. So the word deacon, 
that were first introduced here uh, in, in the book of Acts, which will become um, more prominent later on. It's not used uh, in, the, in the form of a noun here. And so I'll talk more about this when we come to Stephen. Um, I, I don't believe this is the beginning of the formal diaconate. The word deacon is used twice in its verbal form. Once in relation to the apostles who were called to be servants of the word, and once in relation to the seven men who were appointed to be servants of tables. But throughout the Bible, this word, this word deacon, it means servant. And we find that it's applied to every Christian in all sorts of ministry context. So, so the word deacon literally means serving, service, servant, in whatever form it comes. And it's not just applied to a specific group of people. It's applied to every believer in all sorts of ministry context. And as the church grows, the needs of the church grow, and the church needs people who will serve. You know, what we see here in this passage, what we see here is not the apostles saying, you know, widows, they're not really our thing. Let, let's not be concerned with social needs. They said, this is a need. And God has surely provided men to lead in this area. So let's turn them loose to serve. So the first principle is that every Christian is gifted. And they are gifted to serve. Here's the second principle. If you're a Christian, you'd better be prepared to get put to work especially if you point out a need. <laughs> now, how in the world did I get that principle from this passage? Well, the seven men who were appointed all have Greek names. The apostles, we know they're all Jewish, they're all Hebrew. The seven men who were appointed all have Greek names. They are likely part of the Hellenistai. They, they, were, they were part of the group from which the complaints sprung. I'm not saying that Stephen or Philip or Timon or the others, that they were the ones actually complaining, but I'm saying it came from their people. Culturally, it came from their tribe. And, and so the, the principle is this. You don't just get to point out problems. You've got to be part of the solution. You, you put forth men who you think can handle this task. And if you guys are the ones complaining, then you better pony up and put your money where your mouth is. Third principle, when it comes to serving in ministry, focus less on calling and more on character. Did you notice the criteria that was used in selecting this group of seven servant leaders? No one asked. Is that guy good with QuickBooks and a spreadsheet? Is he handy with a hammer? Can he do repairs? The apostle said, pick out seven who are of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And the issue is always character more than it is calling or even competency. We see the same thing in 1 Timothy, as well as in Titus, where Paul gives us a fuller explanation of these two offices, elder and deacon, more expanded as they've developed over the next 30 years or so. Only two, only two tasks are, are mentioned. The rest of it's character. And so men, I, I would challenge you today, are you called to be a deacon? Does your life line up with what we see here? 
You know, I, I was given a piece of, this is back when I was in college, I was given a piece of advice by an older gentleman. And he said, Jeremy, this is how you know when someone is called to be a deacon. And now he's talking about in the formal sense, not the informal sense of, of we're all called to be deacons in a sense. We're all called to be servants. This is how you know when someone is called to be a deacon. Is his character strong? Does he already devote his time to caring for widows and those in need? If he's serving without the title, then he'll do just fine with the title. It's not just deacons, though, in the formal sense. This, this applies to every servant leader in the church. Friends, focus on character. Focus on the gospel. Be quick to confess your sin. Be quick to run to Jesus. What is your calling? Have you asked yourself that? Lord, what am I called to? Well, let me answer that for you. What are you gifted at and where are their needs? What are you called to? What are you gifted at? Where are their needs? Some of you don't realize this, but you are called to children's ministry and youth ministry. Do you know how I know that? Because those ministries have needs. So afterwards, uh, in the fellowship hall, uh, we'll make sure that Sarah, Kimbo, and Ethan are available, and you can, you can sign up. We've seen growing pains. We've seen the grace of God to provide the solution. What's the end result? You know, this really could have been, this is a seminal moment. This could have been uh, a moment when, when just like movie pass, the whole thing implodes. Got racial tension, racial division, cultural differences, complaints. But no, God was at work. And we're told the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. God didn't curb their growth. He gave greater growth. Because challenges aren't anything for him. You know, I, I long for CPC to experience growing pains. You know why? Because it means we're growing. It's a beautiful thing when God gives us the opportunity to extend the gospel message, both in word and in deed. It's a beautiful thing when Christians follow the example of Christ. Christ who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, friends, do you have a servant mindset? Do you have the mindset of the Savior? You know, the church, it's been said, is the only organization that doesn't primarily exist for the benefit of its members. We exist for others. Each of us exists for others. We exist to proclaim the gospel message in word and to apply the gospel message in deed. And we see both beautifully coming together here. We're actually, as we come to the table, see both a message in, in living form where, where we are called to do something. And to show and in, in doing something, we show forth. We don't speak forth, we show forth the Lord's death until he comes. That is the good news of the gospel. Let's pray towards that end. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the growing pains that the church experienced. For without it, uh, it, it we would not have um, this fuller understanding of how the church is supposed to look and to operate. 
but you've provided for your people, and you still provide. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You want the same thing for the church and from the church, that we focus on worship, teaching, nurture, and reaching, that we reach others with the good news of the gospel, and that we put our faith into practice, put hands and feet um, to our message to show that it's living, that it's, a, that it's a living faith. We're not just people who speak of a dead faith. It's a living faith. And so guide us into that reality. Convict us where it's perhaps not in our own lives. And give us strength as now we feed and feast upon Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.